Live. Live. Live from This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, featuring New York sports talk and a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. we got a good show for this week. We're going to have our fantasy football preview show this week. We're going to be talking with Michael Florio. You've seen his work on NFL Network, NFL.com, Roto Ballers. He's got a lot of good nuggets for your fantasy football drafts. You're going to check out that conversation in this week's podcast. Showing the money also back this week. We are doing our NFL over-unders with Joe D'Alizio, our favorite NFL guest and the host of the Sharp Chatter podcast. Tune in for our over-unders with Joe in just a bit. Pop Culture Week, we are going into the one fantasy football television show that exists, an actual scripted show, The League. Land for seven seasons on FX. Martino Puccio, a big fan of The League, is coming on at the end of the show to talk about that with me. But we'll get it all started with this week's opening tip. We're going to take a look at the... Big picture implications of the sale of the Mets right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, we are back here. Opening tip, and the Mets fans got a big gift over the weekend. Not from the team. The team had a good Friday, and then they magically blew it against the Yankees. As we're recording this podcast on Tuesday, September 1st, they have lost four games in a row, completely wasted the momentum of winning that doubleheader over the weekend in the Bronx, and blew these games in mind-boggling ways. But there, there is a bright side here. There is good news if you are a New York Mets fan because – the team has been sold, and it's going to Steve Cohen. That's right. Steve Cohen buying the New York Mets. Paying $2.35 billion. That news broke on Friday night. The sale is in the process of being finalized. Jeff Wilpon, who wanted to sell it to A-Rod, got sidelined at the end of this thing. The A-Rod group actually did put up a decent amount of money. They put up over $2 billion. But at the end of the day, Steve Cohen did what he had to do. He topped that number. And Soul Katz, the third partner in the Sterling Equities group that owns the Mets, made sure to drive the team to Steve Cohen and... I think this is the best thing a Met fan could hope for right now because a Met fan, you're tired of the incompetence. You're tired of the cheapness. You're tired of not having enough money to keep your own players. We ranted last year about Zach Wheeler being let go for basically money reasons because ownership did not want to pay him a five-year contract with $118 million, which in this market in the lack of starting pitching was a good deal. And we've seen what Wheeler's doing with the Phillies. We've seen how badly the Mets have been trying to find starting pitching all season long. If you have Wheeler alongside Jacob DeGrom this year, the Mets are guaranteed to be in the playoffs. 
I believe that strongly. They would be in the playoffs right now. Instead, they are suffering through Rick Porcello, Michael Waka, both of whom have been inconsistent at best and bad at worst. The thing that happens here, let's be real. The A-Rod group, they were going to be a slight upgrade over the Wilpons. The concern you would have had with the AR group, and I don't want to hear about the media, how everybody was talking about, oh, diversity this, all that. The Mets fans could care less who owns the team in terms of whether they're black, white, purple. What they care about is the green. They care about the money. And the concern with the A-Rod group was that you have a situation like what happened with Derek Jeter's group in Florida where they basically scraped all the change out of the piggy bank to buy the team and then they have no money to put together a competitive roster. And that means we saw it happen in Miami. They dumped John Carlos Stanton on the Yankees. They dumped Christian Yelich. They dumped Marcelo Zuna. They dumped anybody with ability to basically get themselves in financial order. And the Mets are not a good financially run team. They have a ton of debt. The Wilpons put a ton of stadium debt on there. And this is something that could have sunk that A-Rod group. They would have got the team and then they would have had to maybe trade off Michael Conforto to because they couldn't afford to keep him. They would have had to trade off Noah Syndergaard. Those concerns go away with Steve Cohen. And Steve Cohen right now is the richest owner in baseball. The richest. And that means that the Met fans who have too often been ridiculed by the outside world, been ridiculed by the Scott Boris is saying the Mets shop in the fruit and nuts section in free agency. Now they're back at Tiffany's. They're going to be in the market for big mar- big time players, and anything is possible with this team. They need a catcher. They can go get JT Realmuto in the offseason. Buster only said on ESPN today that the concern that the Phillies have there is that the Mets can basically just blow them out of the water, whatever they want. That, that Realmuto has no incentive to sign a deal now. Say, okay, I'll get the free agency and see what the Mets want to pay me because they need a catcher. You want to trade for Francisco Lindor and sign him? The Mets can do that. You want to go sign a Trevor Bauer? Or resign Marcus Stroman. The Mets can do that. The Mets have the financial capability now to do this. And having the owner in there who wants to win, is a smart guy, is a big-time Met fan, and who wants to win, that's huge for this franchise because this could be something that really, really changes this team. The closest parallel I think you have is what happened with the Dodgers when they got sold from the McCourts to Magic Johnson's Guggenheim group. The Dodgers prior to that were a team that did not spend like they were capable of. Frank McCourt was having trouble making his payroll due to that nasty divorce he was going through. They sell to the, the Johnson group six years ago. Six, seven years ago. And what happens to the Dodgers since? They've become a model franchise in baseball. One of the biggest payrolls in the sport. Absolutely stacked farm system. They have prospects up the wazoo. They didn't even really have to break the bank to trade for Mookie Betts and sign him long-term. The Dodgers are what the Mets could be in about five years. It will take some time because the Mets' upper-level of the farm system is depleted through these trades that the Mets have made over the years to shuffle the deck chairs a little bit and try and maintain the illusion of competitiveness where they basically put enough on the field to try and you know sell the tickets, keep the team relevant in the race, but not really go for the killer punch and get that one final piece We've always made fun of Brody Van Wagen about the ifs. And he said he wants to eliminate ifs, and this year is Fulham. That was more an ownership situation, saying you can't spend what you need to spend. Versus here, the checkbook's going to be open. They're going to get what they need to win this team. And 
I think the big thing that's also going to be underrated is that Steve Cohen will put in a infrastructure here to build this organization like the Dodgers are. Steve Cohen is going to invest in the analytics department. The Mets, I think, have five full-time analytics people. That number is going to skyrocket. The Mets need to develop players better. They will invest in player development. The Mets will invest in scouting and be able to find these players. All this stuff is going to be well done, and the potential for a big market team here to compete with the Yankees for free agents, it's very exciting. And as a Mets fan, you, I have a hope that in five years that I'm going to be raising a trophy because I have the right owner here because this team, in spite of the struggles this year, and as we're recording, they are 15 and 20. They are two games out of the last wild card spot in the National League thanks to the expanded playoffs. This team is not that far off offensively. Their lineup, I mean, I'm not taking big stock in what's happened with Alonzo McNeil this year because they have basically been not great, but it's a 60-game sprint of a season. I don't put a ton of stock in guys who had huge upsides going completely the other way. I think if they had six months, they would have stabilized out, but I'm not worried about that. Donald Smith's had a breakout year. J.D. Davis has shown he can play third base. That's also massive for this team in the long term. You have a couple of areas you could upgrade. You can upgrade in center field. You can upgrade at catcher. You can upgrade at shortstop because Ahmed Rosario has not been the long-term answer. Could you go trade for Francisco Lindor? Sure. Why not? This is something the Mets could easily do. The Mets could wait till 2021. They could go get one of these big free agent third basemen, whether it's Chris Bryant, whether it's Nolan Arenado opting out in Colorado, coming to Queens. The Mets will be in play for these big market pieces. Like, if this was 2020, a year ago, if Steve Cohen owned the Mets, they would be going toe-toe with the Yankees to Garrett Cole. They would have at least re-signed Zach Wheeler. This is a very exciting time to be a Met fan because you can see the light at the end of the tunnel here. Even if they don't make the playoffs in 2020, which will be a bitter disappointment. And it's using where over half the league makes the playoffs. If you're not making it, that's a big problem. But I expect Steve Cohen to come in here that can put in his smart baseball people and sign the checks, let them go to work, and build a winner. This team is not that far off. I'm very excited to see what's going to happen here. And it, it had to go here. The Mets fans wanted a rich owner who loves the team. Now they have one. Up next, we will go to the world of fantasy football. Hope you get ready for your drafts with Michael Florio right after this highlight from last year's fantasy MVP Lamar Jackson, courtesy of CBS's Kevin Harlan. It's a second down and three. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him dart back and forth. Oh, he broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage, and he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47-yard touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. All right, I am back here. Just heard a clip of last year's fantasy MVP, Lamar Jackson, scoring a big touchdown against the Bengals. Getting ready for your fantasy football drafts this year. Thrilled to have on the podcast today somebody who talks a lot of fantasy football for NFL Network, NFL.com, and Roto Baller. Michael Florio is on the podcast today. Michael, how are you? I'm good, man. Thank you so much for having me. Not a problem. I have to say, I'm very excited for fantasy football this year, but it's going to be a little weird trying to do it in the COVID era. Yeah, I'm super excited. It is going to be weird. I'm hoping, right so far, we haven't seen a lot of positive tests in the NFL from players even. So I'm hoping that continues over once the game starts. It is definitely going to be a weird season, but I will take fantasy football however we can get it. 
Yeah, for sure. And what are some things you know? It's like in terms of like me when you're getting ready for your draft, what you're trying to see from your leagues and sort of adjust for possibilities of dealing with this situation. Uh, I think for me, the biggest difference, and it was something that I was going to change in my approach anyway, because I was looking back uh, the last couple of seasons and I realized I kept making the same mistake. But I think in 2020, there's even more of a reason to just chase upside. Like, I like to build a solid base in the the early rounds. And then, like, at, like round four, five, even, like, six on from there, I'm just targeting players with really high ceilings. Because I believe this year, like, players can go down for any reason. Right? Like, we could avoid Will Fuller because of the hamstring issues he's had in his career. But play, every single player is more likely to miss time this year than ever before. So I'm okay taking that risk, especially – with the added volume that Will Fuller is expected to see with DeAndre Hopkins. So for me, it's all about going upside and and talent because I'm not worrying so much like in normal years about depth charts and like that stuff all matters. But this year, like in the later rounds, I'm definitely more concerned with just who can give me the highest upside. Yeah, it definitely makes some sense. And let's put this out there. Let's say you happen to be lucky enough to get the number one pick in your draft. Who would be your top option at number one? For me, it's still Christian McCaffrey. Uh, it's a lot like Mike Trout, right, in fantasy baseball. Like, is Mike Trout going to be the number one player every year? No, he consistently hasn't been for years. But is Mike Trout every year going to be one of the top five players in the game? No questions asked, likely top three. Yes, he is. And that's Christian McCaffrey, right? Like, I, I know last year, everyone likes to say he's not going to be able to redo what he did last year. I wouldn't expect him to because he had the second best fantasy season ever only 2006 with Damian Tomlinson had better but then also people like to say all the running no running back has finished as the RB1 two years in a row since Clinton Portis back in 02 and 03 that's true but it wouldn't be true if Christian McCaffrey didn't sit out week 17 of the 2018 season because he only played uh, I believe it was like five or ten snaps came out real early in the first quarter and then Saquon Barkley had a big game that week and finished .3 fantasy points ahead of Christian McCaffrey. So he would have been the RB1 the last two years. I think he is the safest floor of all those high-end running backs. I think he has a safer floor than Saquon. We saw what happened last year with Saquon. And then also, you can't tell me that someone has a higher ceiling when Christian McCaffrey's ceiling last year was the second greatest season we've ever seen. Yeah, that's true. I'm sitting here next to a fantasy football trophy I won having McCaffrey on my team last year. I, I don't have number one this year. <laughs> I'm down at number nine, so I'm going to be a little selfish here and say, what should I do with the ninth pick in a half-point PPR draft? I'll, I'll fully admit, like, picks five through nine don't like. I'd rather be on either side of the turn this year. But at pick nine, I'm still going to be going best running back available. That is my approach uh, in the early rounds this year, as long as the top 13 running backs are on the board. I pick nine. I would probably be looking if, if Derek Henry goes, because he normally goes in the top nine. I'd probably be taking one of Austin Eckler or Kenny and Drake. But I know that that's uh, not for everyone. Some people don't feel the same way I do. Uh, you, can go, you can't go wrong, though, ever with a Michael Thomas or Devontae Adams. But I would be going with one of those running backs. Good to know. And the next big question I want to ask you is obviously the quarterbacks, the two big point guys, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, where in the draft should you be taking them this year? Uh, I like taking, I will not consider Patrick Mahomes, uh, I'm sorry, Lamar Jackson in the first round. 
I don't really like him in the early second round either. But when we start getting to the back half of the second round, early third round, I have no problem taking Lamar Jackson there or Patrick Mahomes, really. The only issue with Mahomes is we're hoping that he can add those that running element to his game. We saw it in the playoffs in the Super Bowl, but there's no guarantee that he will. So I'm a little bit more hesitant when it comes to, to Mahomes and Lamar at that price. But I think that is the range if you want one of those two guys, late second, early third round. Yeah, for sure. Those guys tend to go early. A lot of the savvier fancy owners say, you know what, I'll wait for a while. I'll build my receiver depth, my running back depth, and get a quarterback later on. Who are some values you like a quarterback this year? Yeah, well, first, I do think the, the second tier of quarterbacks, not those big two, but after that, the Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Jackson, uh, Deshaun Watson, and Josh Allen. I think those guys, because everyone likes to wait on quarterback, those guys are not becoming a value, in my opinion, because you can get, like, Dak Prescott, who was the QB2 last year and has, I think, the best weapons around him of anyone in football. You get him in the sixth, seventh round sometimes. So if that is the case, I have no issues pulling the, those guys up and taking them. But if I miss out on them, uh, to me, Matt Stafford is someone I really like as that low-end QB1. And if I miss out on him, for me, they're all high-end QB2s. It's my, there's a top tier I have in my QB2s with uh, Daniel Jones, Cam Newton, Garner Minshew, Ryan Tannehill, and Joe Burrow, the quarterbacks who uh, have good weapons around them, uh, are in favorable situations for the most part, and then also can add fantasy points with their legs because that is the secret weapon to having a good fantasy quarterback is can they add those three points with their legs. Yeah, that's not really true. You brought up Cam Newton. It's a very interesting situation he's in because he goes to New England, hasn't had a lot of luck with the shoulder injury the past couple of years, and He's going to a system where he's not done a lot of weapons outside of Julian Allen. How do you feel about his fantasy outlook this year? I like Cam Newton, especially because you do not have to take him as one of the top 12 quarterbacks off the board. Like, I have him ranked as my QB 13, but you don't need to pay that high of a price to get him. He's starting to go higher in drafts, but everything we're hearing out of the, the Patriots camp is that the, the competition was over, and there was never really a competition, in my opinion. From the start, I said Cam was the starter, and if they were talking about platooning or anything like that, I just said if, if you're not using Cam full-time as your starting quarterback, it means that Cam Newton is not right. But it's looking like Cam Newton is, and we just know the upside that Cam possesses with his legs. He consistently for years was a top-five quarterback because of, and only has thrown for 4,000 yards once in his career because he can run so well and so efficiently near the goal line especially. So I, I like picking Cam as my QB too because the upside – is really, I still think, a top-ten quarterback if he is anywhere close to that old rushing cam that we used to see. Yeah, it's a lot of fun at quarterback this year. The receiver is, is also interesting to me because obviously you have a clear-cut number one in Michael Thomas. I think a bunch of similar options after him. So how do you sort out the guys after Michael Thomas? Who do you do prioritize? So I think Devontae Adams has to be the second uh, wide receiver off the board. And for me, the only two that I would consider in the first round are Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams. But with the running uh, first round being so running back heavy, you're starting to see Adams go consistently in round two. So I really like that value there. After him, I think the next two should be Julio Jones and Tyreek Hill. But for me, my wide receiver five is a surprise to many. It's Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson last year finished as the wide receiver eight. He was top five in targets. And this year he has even less competition for targets around him. It's Anthony Miller, Tariq Cohen, and the ghost of Jimmy Graham. And that's it. Uh, plus, he has a quarterback upgrade in Nick Foles. And regardless, both of his quarterbacks love to throw to the slot. 
And that is where Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller are going to split their time. So I like both of those guys and where they're going. That's very interesting. And also, I think another thing that's intriguing about the receiver group this year is that there's been so many talented rookies in this class that came out here. We had Jerry Judy go to the Broncos, Henry Ruggs go to the Raiders, C.D. Lamb to the Cowboys, among others. What do you think about this rookie receiver core? Who are some of the guys in there you think could be good fancy contributors this year? Yeah, I'm a little bit worried about the rookie wide receivers class as a whole this year. It has so much talent, like long-term, I'm not worried at all. I'm just worried because no pre- the, the, the weird preseason this year, no preseason games, uh, you know, reduced amount of training camp. Um, receiver is a position that relies on timing and precision. So I, I am a little bit concerned with the w- rookie wide receivers, uh, especially early in the season. But my favorite and someone that I have on almost all of my fantasy teams, and I've done a lot of drafts already, it's Stevie Lamb of the Dallas Cowboys. This guy is so explosive, and they're going to use him in the slot, which just, I mean, makes my mouth water because you're going to have slot cornerbacks trying to line up and guard this huge freak athlete of a receiver. Plus, I like that you get him around wide receiver 40. He's starting to climb a little bit, but last year, Randall Cobb was a top 45 wide receiver. That was with Amari Cooper being top 10 and Michael Gallup being top 24. So I think the upside with a Half happier head coach now. The upside because of how explosive Len is, and he might already be their best red zone option. This guy has league winning upside. That's pretty good. Now, that would put that in my notes. I'm getting ready for my drafts coming up. Another interesting thing I want to talk about this year is the tight end position because last year going in the draft, but like, okay, there's only really three you really want to grab, which is Zach Ertz, George Kittle, and Travis Kelsey. I feel like last year the t- position really deepened a bit. How do you feel at the tight end spot going into this year? Yeah, so my approach when it comes to tight end is if I have a middle, like like in the first round, if I'm like pick five or six, so it comes back to me and my top running backs are gone and the big four receivers are gone, uh, the big four, you know, being Tyreek and Julio round and out, I will take George Kittle there. And George Kittle is my tight end one this year. I would take Travis Kelsey there too, but Travis Kelsey usually goes early second round. So I take Kittle there, and if I miss out on them, I will usually – wait and then I'll take in like round seven or eight one of the high upside tight ends that the ones that I think can make that step into the Mark Andrews tier maybe even higher and for me those guys are Tyler Higby, Evan Ingram and then a little bit later there's Hayden Hurst who I like a lot uh, and then if I miss out on those guys too there's a lot of guys I like later and if I miss out on the, all those higher end guys I'll double up on two of like Noah Fant uh, Mike Jacecki is someone I like a lot. Chris Herndon, who I'm really, really starting to pull back up. I had him as a tight end one last year, and that didn't work out, but I'm falling back for him again this year. Uh, John Smith, another one. There's a lot of depth at the tight end position this year. So I'll double up on those two because we know if tight end has taught us anything in the past, they're not all going to hit. So if I had two of those upside tight ends in the double-digit round, well, then that only increases my odds of having one that can break out this year. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a, fun, a good strategy. Let's talk some sleepers here. Who are some sleepers you like this year that you think aren't making enough hype right now? Yeah, he's starting to get more hype, but Zach Moss is someone that I really like, and, and he's someone that you could still get in some drafts in the 10th, 11th round I've seen, but in others, I've seen him go in the 9th. I've even seen him go in the 8th round of a couple. So he's getting a little bit higher price, but... Zach Moss, I think, could compete there with Devin Singletary, not only to be a complimentary piece, but to really make some noise 
and take over a large chunk of that job there, I think. Uh, some other sleepers, I'm trying to uh, double-digit round guys that I like. Well, no, my quarterback position to go back to that. Gardner Minshew is my favorite sleeper there. Uh, Jay Gruden is the offense coordinator, and Jay Gruden's history as a play caller has led to the two best fantasy seasons we got out of Kirk Cousins and the two best fantasy seasons we got out of Andy Dalton ever. So it's a it's an offensive coordinator that leads to passing success, and plus it's one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And it is a quarterback that can add valuable points with his legs. So Gardner Minshew late is another one of my favorite sleepers. Uh, Matt Breida is someone I target in the double-digit rounds. Oh, Damian Harris is a big one. I think people should be looking at Bryce Love is another one in the teams that you can get that I like a lot. Uh, and even Daryl Henderson, he's starting to fall down boards. I'm a Cam Akers guy, but anytime there's these backs that have a chance of being a featured back in a pretty good offense, I think you, in the double-digit rounds, I think you should be taking that shot. I agree with that, and I think Bud Light is obviously a big fan of the Gardner Minshew thing. I don't think I'm. With, I don't think <laughs> I, would, I would take him in the first round for the beer money, but he's somebody I would think about later in the draft. Yeah, I wouldn't be taking him in the first round if you're doing that. That's a mistake. You get this guy well into the. the you know, 12, 13, 14th round in some drafts. He goes undrafted in some shallower league drafts too, so you don't got to pay up at all. But, but if you like Bud Light and you want to have a good time, I mean, you could take him in the first round. Yeah, we could, but I'm, I've, I have too, much, too many shackles on the line to try that strategy. So <laughs> I wouldn't advise it. I would not either. Let's go to the bus. Who are some guys you would tell me tell the people to stay away from? For me, this year, the people I'm staying away from are those boring low low ceiling but safe floor players you know like those type of players like James White is one that comes to mind uh, uh, it was Jamison Crowder before all the other Jets receivers started to go down but you know those players that you draft just in case like in case one of your starters gets hurt or has a bye week you could plug them in and you'll get you know 10 points but they really won't win you a week I'm avoiding those kinds of players and I'm going for the highest ceilings that I can get because those safe boring players, first of all, I think if you need to put them in your starting lineup, your lineup is already worse. And second of all, you're not you're gonna hold on to them all year for a couple of weeks that you want that you get them into your starting lineup. Whereas if I if I use my picks on these high ceiling players and they don't pan out in the first two weeks, three weeks, then I'm just gonna have a bench full of spots that I can take more upside shots on the waiver wire. And the way you win fantasy football championship is by finding you know a breakout player or two in the draft and a breakout player or two on the waiver wire so I want to take as many of those upside shots as I can trying to find those breakout players rather than taking a boring player in the draft and the opportunity cost it it takes there that's one upside shot I didn't take and then holding them on my bench all year in case you got to use them and what that what those safe players lead to, in my opinion, is a four fifth, sixth place finish and a first round fantasy exit in the playoffs. Like I don't play to lose in the first round; I play to win a championship. Yeah, the, the one guy that came to my mind. You're talking about that model. I feel like it was Larry Fitzgerald. I feel like it's a guy. He's a classic example of that right now. I feel like he's got a very safe floor. He gets a couple catches a week at 50, 60 yards. They get a touchdown. I think his upside definitely gets capped up by DeAndre Hopkins coming over there. Oh, yeah. Larry Fitzgerald, Hall of Famer, one of the best receivers ever. I don't even consider him in fantasy. Like, it's like he's retired in my mind because I have never drafted him and I don't plan on it. Yeah, that's for sure. And I, as a Jet fan, I do want to leave with one Jet-related question in terms of fantasy receivers here. Robbie Anderson leaves, goes to Karen Wyman, working with Teddy Bridgewater now in a crowded receiver room. 
Rashad Perriman, big breakout at the end of last year, goes to the Jets, where he could be the number one receiver if he's healthy. Which one of those guys would you like better in fantasy? Oh, it's not even close to me. It's Rashad Perriman. Uh, I actually, before Perriman got hurt, I have him ranked higher than Jamison Crowder. Because to me, Crowder is one of those players. He might have a handful of nice games, but most weeks, he's going to give you between 8 and 12 fantasy points. Rashad Perriman, on the other hand, if things click and he can replace Robbie Anderson, who before, uh, up until, actually, I think it's right up until now in Sam Darnold's career, Robbie Anderson still has the most receiving yards and touchdowns from Sam Darnold. So I think that big play weapon that they need on the outside, I think Denzel Mims is the long-term uh, answer for that. But for this year, I think it's Rashad Perriman, and he just has a higher ceiling and is someone that I would take the upside shot on there. But my favorite target in the Jets offense, because you're a Jet fan, it's just Chris Herndon because you get him round 12 or later and Sam Darnold, we're hearing reports right now out of, out of Jet Camp that he is just throwing the ball often to Chris Herndon. I think a lot of targets are going to get funneled his way. Yeah, it does sound good. Thanks for all the info today, Michael. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I can people follow on social media and keep up with your excellent fantasy football workers here. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, they can follow me on Twitter at Michael F. Florio. That's the easiest place to get all my work in one place. All right, Michael. Awesome. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. And there you have it. That was Michael Florio from NFL Network, NFL.com, Roto Ballers. A lot of good fantasy football nuggets in there for you if you are getting ready for your drafts this week. Be sure, definitely check out his work all over the internet. Go to Michael, follow Michael F. Florio on Twitter. Up next, we're going to begin our Show Me the Money NFL coverage here. Second year in a row, we're going to do the NFL over-unders with the great Joe D'Aloisio right after this. Show me the money. All right, we are back here. Show me the money. We are back doing our NFL over-unders for the season. Join me again to do it. Last year, we had a very close contest. Join me today, the great Joe D'Alvizio. I know I promised I wouldn't say great last time, but Joe, you are a great guy. Mike, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on again. I always I always love the uh, over-under segment, the show me the money. Now, hopefully, I can make some money. Yeah, hopefully, we can make some money. Last year was a tight contest. I think I squeaked it out by one, and this year, we're going to have another go at it. I'm proposing on the air here that I know I'm not going to be down in New Rochelle for quite a bit because of the coronavirus pandemic and the fact that I usually help out with Iona Sports and they're not going to be happening for a while. But I say the next time I'm down there, whoever wins this buys the buys the loser or gets the loser buys the winner a a sandwich of their choice from the Avenue Deli. Oh, no problem. Deal. Yeah, deal. I, it's on record. It's recorded. Deal. I thought you were going to say a steak dinner. I got a little nervous, Mike. No, I'll be, I'll be nice. It's, it's, I think the sandwich at the Avenue Deli is high-quality stuff. All right. Well, we, we, we could go for a sandwich. All right. So winner, 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 winner gets a sandwich. Winner gets a sandwich. So now we have that on the record. Before we get into this, I also do some fancy football talk earlier in the podcast. Are you excited for the fancy football season? It's tough to judge right now. I'm going to be honest with you, Mike. It's uh, it's really tough. I've been in conversations with uh, with the league that I've been doing with all my Iona college buddies since we were, you know, when we first came to campus when we were freshmen back in, God, almost what, ten years ago at this point. Um, 
we've kind of been contemplating what we're going to do because obviously with the, because of the current circumstances, it's uh it's going to be much tougher um, in terms of like drafting, you know, let's say you, you have a top pick uh, and you're, and let's say you, you select Christian McCaffrey and three weeks into the season, you test positive for COVID then you're without a star player, you know? So the strategy, I don't know if there really is a strategy that's going to work. Um, I actually proposed going away from the traditional fantasy um, setup that we would do, right? The traditional uh, fantasy league. And instead, each week have a $10 buy-in on FanDuel, DraftKings, etc. Because at least it's a it's a different team, it's a different roster each week. You know who's going to be in it, you know who's going to be out, and you could still have some fun and be competitive that way. Yeah, like I run a league right now. I'm the defending champ of it, and what we basically propose for our league is basically we're doing two things. Is number one, we're also we're expanding our roster sizes and our bench spots and our injured reserve spots to give ourselves more flexibility in the event something has away. Like if you have a massive problem with injuries or the COVID, like you can at least feel the team. And the second is basically like we are building in different like money incentives based on like we want to cover ourselves. Like if the league, some reason only plays at 10 games, less than 10 games of the season, everybody gets their money back. If it gets to a certain threshold, we pay out based on the standings. If a certain, no, we get into the playoffs, we pay out based on the playoffs. Basically, we just incentivize different amounts of the money. It's the way it's not like, you pay, and then three weeks in, it's over, and everybody's just out of their money. It sounds like the commissioner in that league has everything under control. Trust Strong me. leader. Trust me. The baseball was was much, much harder trying to figure out. Oh, I can only imagine. But, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, I believe we're going to end up still doing a traditional league, and we, we're going to expand the roster, add IR spots, et cetera. But still, I mean, like, that doesn't change the fact that one of your best players on any given week could be out because of COVID and granted it could happen that your, your best player, you know, pulls a hamstring and he's out four weeks and gets hurt. But I think the situation is much, much different this time around. Yeah, it is. It's just like sort of, it's tough. It's sort of like we're all agreeing to the risk here and there are like weekly prizes in my league for points. So like if you have the most points, you get $25. So everyone has a chance to earn some money back. It's not, it's not like you're completely tied to the playoffs. I'll tell you what, I, I can't imagine a year without fantasy football though you know that that's the one thing so even though it's going to be so different i'm still going to get suckered in into doing three or four traditional leagues and then i'll still be putting a few shekels here and there on DraftKings or FanDuel. yeah same here and let's talk about how we put some shekels on these over-unders for the record i'm going to link to this in the show notes we are using the over-under numbers from the FanDuel sportsbook this year we are doing the traditional format, three overs, three unders. It's worth noting here, according to FanDuel Sportsbooks, that if you're actually going out to play some shekels on these over-unders, number one, I'd say be careful listening to me and Joe because we don't know much different from, like, let's say your guy down the street. So, especially this year, hard to put stock in it. But number two, like, they are putting in caveats that you have to play 16 games to cash the bet. So, if they end up playing a 14-game season, you're getting your money back. You're not getting a profit. Yeah, that stinks. But it makes honestly that stinks. It does make no, no, no. It makes it makes sense. It, it makes sense. It makes sense. But if if let's say the over under for a team was five and a half, and they won seven games, but they and the season ends after ten, they should they should be able to cash that out. 
Yeah, you can make that argument, but the this is. I mean, it's the, it's the, it's, it, it makes no sense to me. Come on, I I understand you want them to go the full season, but there's no over under set at you know at at fifteen at fourteen and a half. I mean, come on, if a team if a team's number is set and they've exceeded that number by the time the season were to be postponed or canceled or whatever, you should be able to win that. Yeah, well, you and I are gonna go on the system where if we if we pick a, an under or an over and they happen to hit that number, regardless of what happens, we will honor that bet. But like, what I'm saying is, okay. what I'm saying is like for the I experienced in the baseball as well, where baseball they put the over under number, we have to play 59 and a half of the 60 games to get your bet counted. So this is not unusual from the bet, uh, from, from the uh, sports books. Uh, to to me though, I just I just don't see it, it. Doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me when there are teams that aren't that lower threshold that. That could that could hit that over before um, they call it a season if it gets to that point. I think you're going to see other other companies and other sports books actually capitalize on that uh, and put some sort of clause that will allow them to to still cash out, and yeah. that'll attract people to them. Yeah, I think I've seen some. I think FanDuel also has like different tiers of bets you can make and with the win total. So I would not be surprised if people have like okay for your traditional overnights you have to play the full schedule, but if you want to bet they will win more than like five games, you can bet this to win this like minus amount or something like that. Yeah, I could see it happening. Makes sense. Yeah. And let's go to to the list here. Three overs, three unders. Joe, as the guest, I will give you the choice. Would you like to have the first pick or the second and third picks? After that, we'll just go back to a snake of every other pick. Uh, I'll take the first pick. All right. So you have the first pick in the over-unders. Where are you going first? All right, I am going to go over, and I am going to go Carolina Panthers over five and a half. Interesting. Why? All right. Why the Panthers? Right. So I think it's just a. It, obviously, it's a new era in Carolina for a couple of reasons, right? They got a new coach in Matt Rule coming from the college game. You never know how these college coaches are going to do in the NFL. There's a big question mark there. They also have the new starting quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. I think Bridgewater is very motivated to prove to the division, the entire league, that he can still compete at a high level. And this is his opportunity. He's not going to get probably get another opportunity. He's going to make it or break it with the Carolina Panthers here uh, because of his age, because of his injury history, et cetera. And that's not we're, uh, that's me talking and not even including the fact that this team has arguably one of the best players, one of the best athletes in the entire league. And Christian McCaffrey on offense. You know, I I understand the defense was awful, and they come into this season having to replace six starters, and they're they're I believe the youngest defense in the league. But if you get some good production out of the youngest defense in the league, and and there's some solid um, solid development there, I could easily see this team squeezing seven wins. Yeah, my counter to that is like I can see the argument there, and the number is reasonable enough. You can say, okay, maybe they, if they all have to do is win six games, you win the bet. But to me, the concerns are number one, their division is absolutely brutal. I could easily see them going zero and six in it, and that's a big problem if you're trying to get over six over six wins. And the second problem is just like I, just that this year, the lack of continuity I think is a big deal for some of these teams, who, and they have a new head coach, they have new coordinators, they have a new quarterback, they have a new defense. I think that's gonna be a big problem without much of a preseason or off season to get all that stuff working. Yeah, those are two definitely legitimate concerns. Um, 
I just still think, you know, the division games, yeah, they're in a brutal division, but I don't know. When it comes to those divisional games, I feel like anything can happen. Those are always kind of kind of toss up. The the unex the unexpected always occurs during those divisional games. And again, you have a little lady luck on your side, and you end up you you could you could squeeze six wins. Now, if this number was set at like a seven or a seven and a half, I probably would have stayed away from it. Yeah, that's fair. I'm up first. My first two picks. I'm going to start with the over that I absolutely love here. I'm taking the Buffalo Bills over eight and a half wins. And I look at this division, the AFC East. The Jets are not good. The Jets have a lot of talent deficiencies on defense and at the skill positions and receiving core. The Dolphins are rebuilding and they have a lot of new talent, but again, lack of continuity, all this. New England's not as good. And I think they're getting a lot of hype because of Cam Newton. But again, he has not been healthy in a couple of years. This Bills team has a lot of pieces in place, a lot of continuity. They bring in Stephon Diggs to be a big play weapon for Josh Allen. And they have a very good defense. And to me, you're telling, I think they're going to win division. And you're at, I can get them at the over and a 9-7 and seven finish. I think they'll win more than that easily. Give me the Bills over 8.5 for my first pick. Yeah, I like that. I was looking at that Bills line and I was thinking uh, the same the same thing with you in terms of uh, you looking at that overall division and how you know the Jets are the Jets are brutal. Miami's probably going to be brutal, and I don't have a lot of stock in the Patriots right now. Yeah, speaking of the Patriots, is where I'm going next. I'm going under on the nine and a half with New England. I feel like this number spiked once Cam Newton got there, and again with New England, it's like. They still have nobody in the skill position th- th- teams. They have Julian Edelman, a bunch of you know who knows and who are they's on the skill position group. Sonny Michelle's been hurt in camp. He hasn't been practicing yet. Cam Newton, we have no idea what he's going to be, and he has not. He's had shoulder problems the last couple of years. If he is not the same guy, that's a big problem. And I don't think they have enough talent on offense to win. And they are playing the first place schedule, so they get a lot of brutal games in there. I think. They might finish below 500. I, they're expecting them to win 10 games. I don't buy it. Mike, so does this mean I have to pick a new under? Because uh, I'm looking at my, my cheat sheet right here, and I had the Patriots also under 9.5 for those exact reasons. Yeah, I mean, I mean, sorry I stole it from you. All right, is it my turn, or are you going to take another one of my picks? It's it's your turn. All right, all right. So I am. I get two now? You at, We're going one, 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 one the rest of the way. Oh, okay, okay. Excuse me. I apologize. Yeah. All right, so. I am going to stick with the over, and I'm going to go Dallas Cowboys over nine and a half. I am on the Dallas Cowboy uh, hype train. Um, I'm jumping on that train led by Mike McCarthy. And no, I already know what your follow-up question is. Are you jumping on that train because Mike McCarthy was the former head coach of the Green Bay Packers? No, it has nothing to do with that. With everything considered over the last four years, when you look at the Dallas Cowboys, they pretty much hovered over that 10-win mark under Jason Garrett, who... To me, was a mediocre head coach at best. All right, and they had they the, the Cowboys have never been able to get over that hump. They replaced Garrett with a much better coach. The talent is there on both sides of the ball. Dak is clearly out there to prove that he's a top um, quarterback. He's got weapons around him. They just drafted C.D. Lamb. That's going to help him. They have Zeke, solid offensive line. Decent enough defense. They're going to score a lot of points. This is going to be a much better overall team. And I, I could easily see them winning 11 or 12 games. I'm with you there. I had that one of my considerations as well with the Cowboys. The thing I think that people forget about them is that they've been among the most talented teams in football for the past several years. And you can argue they've underachieved for a lot of those years because of bad coaching. And now they have better coaching, like you said. 
And I think he's getting a lot out of that team. And Dak Prescott took a big step forward. They're keeping the same offense. They're adding in some wrinkles. Adding C.D. Lamb in the draft is huge because they have a great receiving core. They have a good running game, good offensive line. They have a good defensive front. The secondary has some questions. But I think, especially when you can basically pencil them in for four wins against the against the Giants and the, and the Washington football team, I think that's a good start. Yeah, I definitely think so, too. And that's that's another a great reason why I think that, that nine and a half hitting that 10 mark is, is definitely attainable. Yeah, I'm up next. I'm going to go back to my list of overs. I'm going to take one that I I know that I'm going to go back to the NFC South. I'm going to take Atlanta over seven and a half wins. And I know this is a team that basically last end of last year, they finished hot. They went six and two down the stretch. Everyone's talking about Tampa Bay being the big story in that division. But I think Atlanta is going to be surprise a lot of people. I think they have a lot of firepower on that offense still. I think Matt Ryan's going to be doing his best, like, under-the-radar MVP impersonation. I think Todd Gurley will be rejuvenated in a new system. And I think they have enough pieces on the defense. I think they'll be able to find a way to get to at least 500. I have them making the playoffs, personally. So I'm taking the Falcons over 7.5. Yeah, that, that one scares me a little bit. That one scares me just because of the debacle that was last season. And, what you know, you, you go back to... The, the continuity and getting back on the same page this offseason where everyone's kind of on the same uh, level playing field because of the, the situation. But I don't know if you're going to necessarily get a rejuvenated Todd Gurley. Uh, I think you're going to continue to see Matt Ryan do Matt, what Matt Ryan does, but I just don't think there's there's enough around that team to hit that number. That's a fair take. It's definitely a very risky pick, but I feel strongly that is why I did it. You gotta have some risk, though. This is the yeah. whole point of this. Yep. And you are up now. Where are you going through next? You still have an over and three unders. I'm gonna finish up my overs before you take an over. <laughs> One of my overs. Um, I, and I am gonna go. And this, I think, I actually think this is riskier than my Carolina Panthers over five and a half. But I like the Denver Broncos over seven and a half. All right. Um, I really think they found their quarterback. And Drew Luck at the end of last season, they end up finishing the season four and one uh, once he became the starter. John Elway saw that, right? We, we're, we're, we're talking about a guy who knows the position, who's played the position. He saw that, he saw the potential, and he did exactly what he needed to do in the offseason and in the NFL draft to try and add pieces to make his quarterback or his hopeful franchise quarterback uh, to make his life easier. All right, they already he already had Cortland Sutton as a huge wide receiver target. I think he takes a huge a next step in terms of development. But they add Jerry Judy, arguably one of the best wide receivers in the class. They double down, adding another receiver in the second round um, in KJ Hamler, who's a, who's a speed demon and all over the field. I also don't think outside of the Chiefs, when you look at that division, it's too tough. Uh, you don't know what you're going to get out of the Chargers with that starting quarterback situation and I think you'd seem to say the same thing about the Raiders uh, I think the Raiders would have been more motivated uh, you know playing in Vegas first season in Vegas if it was you know open to uh, everybody being able to go and watch them but you know playing in a new swanky arena with nobody there I think that's going uh, that's going to hurt them in a sense and I really think the Broncos have a shot of winning eight games yeah, that's what I looked at, and I was staring at it, and I'm like, that just feels like so on the money that I don't want to touch it, because it really is like a very boomer buzz pick, where we're clearly on the Drew Lock train, and you, I can understand why he's looked very good down the stretch, but 
Again, it's just five games. He could build on it, and you know maybe they win ten during the playoffs, or get fall apart and they could lose. They could win four games. So it's a very it's a pick. I'm like seven seems right. I'm not going to touch it. No, no, I Mike, I could totally see them finishing seven and nine. Yeah, like I could totally see it, or or six and ten, just missing out on that mark. Um, but I don't know. I'm really I'm really hyped, uh, buying into the the luck hype, and I like I said, I like what John Elway did by surrounding him with more talent. Yep, I'm back on the board. I have two unders and an over to go. I'm going to take another under here. I'm just going to be a tight one because the number is very small. But I'm taking the Washington football team under five five wins. And I know Ron Rivera is coming in, and I think he'll help turn the culture around. But this is me not believing in Dwayne Haskins. I don't think he's a franchise quarterback in the NFL. I think he does not have enough weapons around him to help. Terry McLaurin is nice. They don't have anything else. The running game is taking a hit. They had to cut Darius Geis after his incidents, but they have really have nothing there besides an aging Adrian Peterson. The defense has a chance to be decent, but they still have a tough schedule. They have a lot of games they can lose. And I think if they don't sweep the Giants, I think it's going to be hard for them to get over five wins. I will take the under five on Washington. I like that one. I think that's a safe one. I think Washington... Um, is a debacle. They've been a debacle. I think they're going to continue to be a debacle. Most importantly, the the quarterback situation. I'm with you on that one. I don't think Dwayne Haskins is a franchise quarterback. I'll tell you what, I'm more excited for that Washington team if we could see Alex Smith on the field. Yeah, that would be nice he can get on there. My guess is he's probably going to be in the backup most of the year. Maybe they'll get him in a cameo somewhere, but they have to find out what they have in Haskins. Yeah, absolutely. But if if the product's that bad, I think think, – Ron Rivera, I have no problem pulling him. Indeed. You are back up to start your run of unders. Where are you going with your first one? All right, my first under, I'm going Cleveland Browns under eight and a half. That's a good one. I had that uh, on my list. Good, good. I'm glad I took one away from you. Um, part of me thinks like the NFL and Vegas re- are really hoping the Cleveland Browns take the NFL by storm. And I think this has been like the narrative and the story for the last, like what, four or five years. And trust me, I would love to see the Browns. I don't have any ill will against the Browns. I would love to see the Browns be competitive, be good. But I just don't see it happening. Uh, every season, it's high expectations. They end up falling extremely short. I don't believe in Baker Mayfield. I don't believe in his height. Uh, I, don't, I just don't think um, he's necessarily a franchise quarterback either. And um, it, it's really hard to think that this team is going to get anything out of Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, he continues to be a distraction every season. Every season, there's something with him. So I go into this season with the Browns expecting more drama, expecting another saga, expecting something to happen, another headline. So I think uh, Brown's under eight and a half is pretty free. Yeah, I, I, I like the pick. I think I think the thing that you're, if you're pro-Browns, you can say, hey, they had a quieter offseason. They addressed their offensive line. They brought a tight end in. They didn't do all these splashy moves. And they have a head coach not committed to the running game, which should help with Baker Mayfield's development. But at the same time, they're in a tough division. I mean, the, the Ravens are the Ravens. Pittsburgh's going to be better with Ben back. The Bengals won't be a punching bag anymore. The Joe Burrow is there. And I just don't trust that team. I feel like there's just it's just too combustible. I just don't think you could ever trust that organization. No. Until they actually commit to giving the coach and the GM, like, actual, like, more than two years to build a program, they're going to be a perpetual, perpetual loser. Correct. Correct. All right, so I have one over and one under left. The over, I can go a lot of ways. I have three that I'm really torn between, and I think the number on this one's intriguing because this team has hit that that number four straight years. I'm going to take Tennessee over eight and a half, my third pick, because this is a team that's gone nine, 
nine seven four straight years. They have continuity with Ryan Tannehill coming back in year two. I know it's a risk he could revert, but they have a good receiving core. They do pound the football with Derrick Henry, and they have a very good offensive line, a good defense, and the division's bad. The Texans are going backwards. The Jaguars might be the worst team in football. The Colts are good. I'll give them that, but I think Tennessee can easily win nine games. So give me the Titans over eight and a half wins. You're 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 okay with the quarterback situation over there. You're confident that that Ryan Tannehill could lead him again. I think that that they did not ask him to do a ton last year. It's not like he magically like had to throw the ball fifty times. This is a team that's built on its running game, and I think Der- Derrick Henry still doesn't have a lot of mileage on the tires. So I think they'll be able to ride him for another year. And this is a that, sort of counterintuitive to the modern NFL. Everybody's trying to pass, pass, pass. That's the one thing that scares me is that you know I don't I think Derrick Henry has plenty left in the tank, but if if he gets slowed up or goes down, and now you have to rely on Ryan Tannehill, you're in big trouble there. Yeah, it's just another thing. It's like this team, this they historically find a way to get to 9-7, and seven, and if, if that's all I need to win this one. So I feel confident I can at least get there again. Yeah, yeah, I can see it happening. All right, so you are up. You got two more unders. Where are you going with the next one? I got, I got two more unders, and I got to replace one of my unders because you took the easy one with the Patriots. <laughs> um, I am going... What was it? One second. I'm sorry. Because I actually just looked at it now and I said, oh, I'm switching it. Um, I am going Chicago Bears under eight games. Um, I think the fact that there is a quarterback situation in Chicago, I think that'll make the whole situation in Chicago horrendous. Um, you, you, you basically told Mitch Trubisky you have no faith in him. All right. So now I think it's hard um, it's going to be hard for him to compete. Not that he was the greatest quarterback out there. And then you're also bringing in a guy like uh, like Nick Foles, who, yeah, we've seen him succeed. We've seen him win a Super Bowl, we, but we've also seen him fall on his face. I just think there's too much too much switching, not enough overall talent on, uh, with that team. Um, I, I just think eight's a, a pretty high number. And they just es- escaped injury just a, a day ago with their running back in David Montgomery. But, you know, if, if he if he were to go down and, and miss some time, some serious time, again, you're asking for mediocre quarterbacks to do a lot. And I, I, I think that'll get you under eight games. Yeah, that was one I won on last year with the Bears. And I do like it again because I don't trust the quarterback situation there. The weapons are not great. They're very strange, obviously, too. They overpaid Jimmy Graham. They gave Robert Quinn a lot of money. The defense is still good, but... I do think they could try and force that job to Trubisky to justify him being picked second overall in a draft. They could have had Patrick Mahomes or Sean Watson, and he's going to let them down again. So I could see this being a six, I mean, six and ten last place finish with the Bears. Yeah, I mean, you look at you look at that roster. I mean, they got nine they got nine ten tight ends, and they paid Jimmy Graham a boatload of money. And, you know, and I watched Jimmy Graham pretty closely over the last couple seasons, and that was pretty outrageous with the money that he got based on what, how he produced. That's that's very true. I have one more under left. I'm going out to the NFC West here. I'm taking the Los Angeles Rams under eight and a half wins. Team Hard Knocks, well, half of Hard Knocks anyway this year. And this is something that I've noticed that the division has gotten so much better from when the Rams won the NFC two years ago. The Rams have gotten considerably worse. They still have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey on defense. A lot of the depth night unit is gone. Jared Goff took a big step back last year. Todd Gurley is gone. Brandon Cooks is gone. And they do have 
to contend with a improving Cardinals team. The Seahawks are very good. The 49ers just went to the Super Bowl, so that's going to be tough for them to win in that division. Plus, they have to play in a tougher NFC. I don't like the Rams here. I think they could finish below 500 here, so give me the Rams under 8.5. You think they could finish below 500, huh? I do. I'm not a big I, – I think Goff taking a big step back last year is a big concern. Wow. Wow. See, I, I don't know about below 500, but I could see them hovering right around that that, that number. They've also had a lot of key pieces walk out the door over the last two years, and they've mismanaged their salary cap. They don't have first-round picks. This could flame out very quickly for the Rams. No, oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. All right, so I'm assuming I didn't steal that under from you, your last one, so. You didn't. You didn't. My last under, I am going Colts under nine. All right, and this was one that wasn't originally on, and I, I'm not going to tell you what I originally had on because that may be yours. But with that, oh, actually, you just finished all three of yours, right? Yep. Yeah, but you took my Patriots one, so I had to replace it. Colts under nine. And the reason why is I, I think Philip Rivers is done, right? I, I just, he's going to a, a Colts team, which, would you consider that a better situation than what he had in, in L.A.? I do because he has a better offensive line. He can stand back there and throw the football, and he, and he has good runners he can dump the ball off to. I think he's in a better situation. I, I mean, I thought in L.A. because of, of the defense, Keenan Allen, he had a better situation there. I understand the offensive line will definitely help him out. But I don't know. I just don't. Uh, after after watching him play last season, throwing 20 interceptions, only 23 touchdowns, I just don't know if you're getting a rejuvenated uh, quarterback, veteran quarterback in this new situation in, uh, with, with the Colts. And again, you look at that division, and yeah, they'll probably take two from Jacksonville. There won't be gimmies with, with the Texans because they're always at 500, right? They're always going to give people problems. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up somehow figuring out a way to win the division because that, that division's always out of out of whack. And then, like you said, the Tennessee Titans. So I just don't buy into Phillip Rivers kind of going to Indy and they automatically are becoming a, you know, nine-plus win team. You know, they just finished last season with seven wins. Uh, I think they're right around that same mark. Yeah, that makes some sense. So to reset here, where we ended up with the over-unders this year, Joe has gone with the Panthers over 5.5, the Cowboys over 9.5, Broncos and Drew Locke over 7.5, the Cleveland Browns under 8.5, the Chicago Bears under 8, and the Colts under 9. I have gone with the Bills over 8.5, the Patriots under 9.5, Falcons over 7.5, Washington under 5, Titans over eight and a half and the Rams under eight and a half. Those are the over under picks for this year. I will say also curious. You did not touch either New York team this year. Yeah. You know, I was thinking of it, adding a little bit of New York flavor. Uh, but then I realized how terrible both those teams are. And I said, you know what? It's not even worth it. Yeah. I think they could both easily hit the unders. The jets are six and a half. The giants are at a six. I think neither team is in a good spot. The jets are a little better, but they have a brutal schedule. The giants just have so much work to do. Yeah, no, yeah, it's just way too close to call. That's that's a coin toss, and it's just not even worth getting agitated or, or losing sleep over those. 
Now, the Jets, I will personally say, I think, like, the only way they hit the overs is if Sam Darrell elevates the team significantly. I think, otherwise, they're relying on everybody else to step up. It's going to be a long year. Yeah, and I, I still think Darnold needs some more weapons, to be honest with you. Oh, he does. You know, so uh, if they would have addressed that a little bit better this offseason, I, I may have jumped on that if that was at the number. But the fact that they didn't, that, that's a little concerning for me. Yeah, they did not. And also, once again, we are doing the Show Me the Money Picks Challenge week. The year number three of the Picks Challenge is back. You're the captain again for the second year in a row. So we will see how the, how the Challenger squad does this year. All I'm saying is when I win, I'm going to order the most expensive sandwich at the deli. <laughs> so just be ready to make sure you bring your wallet, Phillips. Yeah, I'll bring the wallet. And next week on the picks, making his, de- make his debut for the season, the guy who famously called the Garrett Cole of the Yankees at the winter meetings on the podcast and picked the Super Bowl game matchup with me, Nick Fryetta back on the podcast doing week one picks next week. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. He closed last season. He's starting this season. That's what I like to hear. Indeed. Joe, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people follow you on social media and keep up with some of the stuff you're all up right. to? Yeah, give me a follow on Twitter at Joe double underscore. Do not forget that double. Don't forget the double. D-A-L-O-I-S-I-O. All right. Thanks again, Joe. I really appreciate it. Mike, anytime. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Coming up next, I will be hopping on with our friend Martina Pucci. We're going to discuss the fantasy football show, The League. I love that classic right after this. All right, we are back here on the podcast talking a little bit about the league today. Joining me today, a uh, guy you've heard, I, mean, I haven't heard from in a minute, but a big fan of the league, Martino Puccio. Martino, welcome back. How are you? Good, Mike. Um, it's already September, so it kind of feels a little strange. You know, everything flew by so fast. It was probably the fastest summer I can remember since, you know, I was a kid maybe. Um, but good, football's uh, here in a few uh, few days, right? Nine days. Yeah, I mean, it's been crazy. I mean, you, we blink, and it felt like we were just getting ready. We were just getting the sports back up. Now we're in the stretch for baseball. The NFL's about to start, and I, my fans' football draft next week. Yeah, I have mine, I believe, is a Monday or Sunday because I've pushed it back as far as I could, and uh, I'm still not very uh, confident on what I'm going to do. Yeah, me either. Although I will say, our my conversation with Michael Florio earlier in the podcast definitely helped out get my strategy ready. Yeah, Mike, I've known Mike for years. He's probably one of the best guys uh, possible, and uh, I'm so happy he gets to do stuff with the NFL Network. He's uh, he's honestly one of the best, uh, even younger people I know that uh, is in the fantasy business, so he gives great advice. Yeah, he does give great advice. And I also, before we get into the pop culture riddle, I want to say also your thoughts on the Steve Cohen news for the Mets. Like, I know it's done, but part of me is just still scared. Even though all all the reports from all verified and uh, credible reporters are saying it's done and he's going to get all the votes, I doubt anything uh, major will happen with that. But yeah, I mean the reported figures I was seeing was going up to two point three, so that might exceed the Dodgers sale. So it would be the most expensive purchase uh, team in MLB history. So I mean, look, it this is a this is a new day. This is, um, in terms of the Mets, you know, heartbreak on the field. There's always going to be heartbreak on the field with great organizations, right? Yankees have had it plenty of times. Cardinals have had it. Dodgers, 
most notably as well. Um, but the thing I'm most looking forward to is no more shooting themselves in the foot. No more making dumb trades uh, and assets away because you can't pony up money in the offseason for free agents that could fill a whole roster. So just to be a competent, funny, functioning organization, I think it has Robert Kraft like the New England Patriots said. I think that it's that serious. It'll go back to what New York baseball truly was from the Giants Dodgers moving. Yeah, I think my blueprint is, I think, like, look what happened to the Dodgers after Magic Group bought that team. Now they basically become a juggernaut. They're spending all this money. They have a great farm system. They have all these great players. And, like, I'm looking forward to that and, like, having a very deep organization about five years. Yeah. No, that that's what it's all about. The best organizations, like, even the Yankees still, they just have the best prospects or some of the best prospects. They develop them. And, they, and they're big players in free agency, right? Like, Garrett Cole signs with the Yankees, but they're also bringing up Garcia and Michael King. Like, those are very talented guys. The Dodgers have Gavin Lux on top of, like, Corey Seager and everybody, the Mookie Betts. Like, it's unbelievable. It's They have to get somebody, obviously, the GM search, the player developmental search. That, that's the huge and interesting stuff because getting Andrew Friedman for the, for the Dodgers is, you know, that's amazing in itself. We saw Shane Bloom go to the Red Sox. So, it's going to be interesting to see the type of... Uh, that they are interested in bringing in because um, that's the the major step forward, right? Is the GM hire, which will probably happen um, in a few months. Yeah, let's let's put the mess this out. We'll talk about this definitely in the future, but talk about the league today. The great fantasy show, San Francisco Fantasy Football League, full of crazy people. They are on FX in the earlier in the 2010. So, what drew you to the league initially? Why did you love the show? I don't know. I, at, at first, I saw it was a fantasy football show. So, obviously, I've been playing since I was a kid in middle school. So, I was like, okay. Like, you know, I was really into shows on, on Netflix all the time because I was drawn to, like, teachers and all those older shows like Frasier. I was like, let me try the league out. FX has always funny in Philadelphia. I love football. I watched it. And I was like, this show isn't just about fantasy football, but the way they tie it in is just so unique. And it was, it's honestly one of the most underrated shows that was on television, especially in the 2010s. Um, that is due, but if it, it's a perfect storm for sports fans and just people who enjoy comedy in general. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I discovered it on Netflix as well, and I love the show when I watched it. I will say, the thing that drew me in is just like, I just feel like all the characters they created, they are in this league, and it's an eight-team league. As, as much as they joke about it during a show from other people, like, your league's only eight teams. That You should have more, but they had the right main six in there, and they have great side characters. I think I think it's fun just looking at the league and projecting, like, oh, like, I know this guy. I know who's the Pete of my league and who's the Andre of my league. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, just, just all of them, like, whoever's the biggest uh, trash talker in your league as well, um, with uh, Nick Kroll, it, I mean, Nick, Nick Kroll was just the best. And honestly, I thought he was, I thought he did the best job acting on that show too, because I didn't, I didn't even expect him to be like that. Cause I knew him from other skits and funny stuff that he's done with John Mulaney over the years, the Kroll show, just, his character in that alone was just great. And then Pete, the kind of, Pete, Pete was the kind of guy who just, you know, dominates early. And then once other people in the league start figuring out how to play fantasy football, he's not as great as he thinks. And he's kind of back to the middle of the pack. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, 
I, I loved it all, uh, all the characters. And John LaJoie, that's right, um, at Taco, he was, he was um, again, more underrated uh, character. Yeah, I will say Taco, terrible fantasy football player, and you always know that one guy in your league who like has no idea what he's doing, and he's like sometimes forgets to set his lineup, and will give you like a free win, but then like some years he'll magically just pull it out and find a way to be competitive. I feel like he's that guy. Plus, like his character on the show with all of his wacky schemes, like I feel like it's a really like sort of Kramerish take, and there was a lot of Seinfeld writers who helped run that show. Yeah, and it, and it was because um, it was he just perfectly fulfilled. Uh, the opposite life that his brother took um, in the show, you know, Mary settled down with kids, um, stable job. And then it's taco coming up with all the schemes. Like you mentioned, kind of like Kramer just, uh, smoking weed all the time. And one of my favorite episodes was when he stopped smoking and he just like, <laughs> he was just a, a completely functioning human being that was, you know, just had like endless possibilities of uh, success. And then he obviously went uh, back on uh, the hash. So, I mean, yeah, it was, uh, I don't know. They're, they're all great. They're all unique characters. And, you know, they did a good job with not just focusing on the fantasy aspect of it. You know, it was real, real life stuff. And every situation they got into was hilarious for the most part. Yeah, I will say also that storyline about when Taco starts smoking weed and becomes like a savant and is really good at everything. It was also a direct ripoff of the Silo episode where George becomes a genius when he when he stops having sex. <laughs> yeah, no, that that yeah, George. I mean, no, nothing tops George, but yeah, it it does remind you of that. They just just the way they get in uh, certain situations, and um, yeah, I mean, can't even forget Andre too. Andre. I don't know. He just cracked me up. He's just one of those guys that hovers around in your group that you kind of get like tired of, but you love him. But but he gets the most crap all the time. Kind of like uh, I don't know. He's just a punching bag of the group, I guess you could say, right? And uh, I just he was another guy that I just uh, enjoyed uh, his character. Yeah, if you could bring one of them into your own real life fantasy league, bring the character and just drop them into a manager team. Who would you want to have in your league? Probably. Taco, just because makes things fun and a free win. And if he wins one year, hey, look, it's fantasy football. There's so many injuries. Like, we're seeing it with the Jets. Like, anything can happen. Guys can get hurt. Your your best overall pick could be dominated. Like, Carson Wentz a couple of years ago, dude was on his way to MVP, tears his ACL, and then right before or right in the middle of playoffs, and that's that, you know? So I'll take my rest with Brick Taco and you do live drafts, this person, like, it's probably not a better person to show up there. Yeah, I think I, just from my perspective, like, all leagues sort of need a heel to be really entertaining and have, like, one guy who just likes to tweak everybody. Like, I would like to put Ruxin in my league and just, like, irritate the hell out of him when he finds a way to lose. Yeah, we do. We do that with a couple, uh, well, a couple of people in the league I, wa- I was in. Um, there, was a, there was at least two of two Ronnie Ruxins there, and um, he, uh, it was always right when they lost because if I wasn't winning the championship, I was just rooting for them to lose. Just kind of how I like to root, uh, root for to lose whenever they were in the playoffs. But like, guess aren't going anywhere. I might as well uh, root for them to lose. Yeah, for sure. And they do cover a lot of real life stuff. They also cover some interesting fantasy concepts. What was your favorite fantasy idea they brought into the into the show? Fantasy idea. Hmm. Probably Shiva. It, yeah. I mean, that's it's it, it's not that it's like 
iconic. <laughs> it's iconic for like a select few people, I guess, like the demographic of the fantasy football fans. Like having a trophy like that and basing it off of something. Like I still have my fantasy trophy in my room, actually. Um, but yeah, I mean, we just like write down the winners, kind of like Stanley Cup uh, here. But um, yeah, I I, lo- I love the team. I mean, I think they took it like <laughs> so far, so ridiculous. But um, traditions like that, and even live drafts when they went uh, they went away for uh, the live draft. I believe it was JJ Watt showed up in that episode. Um, correct me. Um, by the pool area and all that stuff. So. I think that I think stuff like that, you know, getting creative, having more fun with it, and realize like it is fantasy football, but at the same time, it's also enjoying time with your friends and creating uh, memories. Yeah, for sure. My favorite things I think come out of this is the taco buy, which I do love that idea of like you know the one team your league is so terrible, it's basically a free win for whoever you play. I think that was a fun concept they brought up. I also love how they brought up how like Pete would basically destroy Andre in trades, and you have that one guy who manages to try and rip off everybody else in trades. That's also very felt very relatable to me. Yeah, no, there's definitely the trade aspect. There was always like people like you aim for in your lane. You're like, oh, how much? Uh, you know, you want to just uh, send something over to me, and that's um, I I guess I was kind of where like uh, league vetoing came up with them, and I hated that stuff. To be honest with you, I when uh, leagues have the league veto and the commissioner will be like, no, that trade is work out because this because this guy's clearly getting boned in this field. Like, no, screw that. Like, this is the NBA with Chris Paul to Lakers. Like. Let this go. Like this guy can make his own decision. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. And one thing you also brought up is that they did have a lot of like football like personalities come on the show. Like, who are some of the ones that you remember the most? Like showing up, like football players, analysts, whoever. Who who caught your eye when they showed up? Well, they obviously had a lot of the Chicago Bears, a few Chicago Bears, because they were based in Chicago. The show, even though I know Kevin. Um, in the show himself is actually a, a Giants fan. I, I, he was on Cavino and Rich one day on SNY years ago. I remember watching it. But um, it's it's absolutely has to be uh, the Jay Cutler when he parts in the bathroom. It's I think it's just I think it was like the funniest one. And and, and you got the cool side of Jay Cutler that kind of everyone has realized now because he was just like a different kind of guy and different type of personality for a quarterback. And he kind of Again, he kind of thought a little bit when uh, he, they had him over at his bathroom and uh, that bathroom incident happened. Yeah, he was a good guest spot. I like when Matthew Berry showed up because he's obviously the fantasy football guy you think of in terms of an analyst, and they did a good job with him. I also like the episode when Jenny was basically like a height supremacist and the way taking short players on her team. They brought in several of them to like basically like troll her on it. Yeah, no, no, that too. Yeah, I just... Uh, it's a shame that Tariq Cohen wasn't uh, playing on the Bears at that time. He would have been the quintessential person to have on the show because he's he's five six. Um, it's always highlighted on all he was um, as well. So, uh, I yeah, it was a great idea. I loved it. Yeah, I I do think also I I can't remember was that Randall Cobb and Brian Westbrook in the episode that that they talked about that I think. Um, I I think I think Westbrook. Was in it. Um, don't remember on the Randall Cobb one, so I'm not going to just set this off of, uh, you know, I don't want to be incorrect or put any information out there. So I, I do remember Westbrook, I think. I did. I just checked. It was Darren Sproles in that episode. Sproles. Okay, there you go. Uh, shorter Eagles yeah. running back. 
indeed. And I also want to say I do enjoy the running gags. I think my favorite throughout the show is like I've, I loved how they always seem to have whoever won the league would go from first to worst the next year. I thought that was always great, and I did enjoy whenever somebody would outside their league be like, "Why are you guys only playing with eight teams? That's such an amateur league." Yeah, no, eight. Yeah, no. It's uh, I, I like it because the highs and lows. So you bet you're better off celebrating uh, your victories that. Uh, when they come instead of, you know, kind of just being like tempered thinking you're going to win again because fantasy football has a lot of highs and lows. Um, operate your draft is, but yeah, 18 leagues, I mean, they're, they're, they're a joke. Um, so, I mean, look, there's people like sending you pictures of their roster all the time. Look what I got. I got uh, an Antonio Brown and Travis Kelsey on my team with Lamar Jackson. I'm like, it's just like, like what? Like how many teams are in your league? And they say eight, and you're like, okay, that's not that impressive. <laughs> like it's it's more impressive to draft a, a poor team in an eight-team league. Yeah, it's why I hate playing eight-team leagues because I feel like there's no challenge. Like, all the teams should be good if you have a decent amount of ability. It's like the, when you get the ten or twelve, and you actually have to be tested a little bit in terms of when you're making picks. Yeah, um, especially um, depend depending on like I was in a four-team one once, and that's just probably the most difficult one. I think, I think Michael Florio might have been in that league. I, I don't remember. Um, but it was, yeah, it's very difficult. You have to just make sure your depth is, is on, uh, on point when you're in 10 and 12 team leagues, especially 12, 10, you can get away with it a lot of the time. I know a lot of people who kind of treat 10 team leagues, like 18 leagues, which I don't necessarily agree with. Um, but, but yeah, 10, 10 to 12 is, is the standard man. Um, but yeah, so don't do eighteen even leagues unless I guess the the bidding is like a hundred bucks per team. Then you got me in, you know. Like uh, I'd like my chances. Yeah, I also do think about their setup here when they had only eighteen in the league. I do think it would be interesting for them to actually try and push out and add a few more characters. I know they had the out of town members and they basically had the, those guys quote unquote auto draft every year. But like it would have, I think it would have been fun like towards the end to add, add in a couple of new characters and push the league up and really challenge these guys a little bit. Yeah, it could have been cool if they got like retired football players, just get them in for you know a few episodes out of the season and just have them like online situations, you know, where they just talk trash on the message board, you know, figure it out, something like that. Um, but look, yeah, I mean, the show lasted way longer than I think most people would initially have thought, um, especially just you know, bringing that whole kind of show idea to the forefront, right? Like pitching an idea like that, you would think, what, it would last a couple of seasons? Because we've seen shows that are hilarious, like Arrested Development, they don't last that long. And then all of a sudden you get a show like this that you would, you know, someone just tells you the the plain concept of the show, like, oh, yeah, it'll last like three seasons. And it did uh, more than that. And it was just very successful. And um, I think the, the court, the course of the show like for how long it ran it was perfect i also think it's a shame they ended when it did because basically when they went off the air it was right when daily fans was really stepping up big and i think it would be interesting to see them really dive more into like dealing with the league now versus like traditional fantasy all leagues versus like your your daily leagues your stuff like that on your draft kings and your and your fan duels more i would be interesting to see more of them do that yeah, like if they had an episode dedicated uh, to them winning the million-dollar prize or something like that, because um, CFS competitions have those all the time. That would have been uh, that would have been amazing to see. Um, 
they went to certain areas that had like legalized gambling like they do now. They just, you know, they head out to AC or, or something like that uh, would have been amazing. But yeah, the t- the timing was unfortunate, but um, hopefully that show gets uh, more respect than uh, it has and, um, you know, gains traction because there's a lot of shows that have a cult following years after um, it aired. I think Parks and Rec is probably one of those shows, I would say. Um, that I could think of that, you know, it's been off uh, the airwaves for a couple of years, but now now people are just, you know, going back and rewatching all that stuff. So that's what uh, the good thing about streaming services. Yeah, for sure. I mean, right now we're at a point where, like, if you watch, like, traditional TV in the fall, like, nothing scripted is coming back on time. So unless you're a big, like, reality TV person or, like, game shows, like, you're going to go on these streaming services and find stuff like The League, like Parks and Rec, like 30 Rock, stuff like that. So I go back and catch up on things you missed. Yeah, there's really, I mean, there's just the HBO shows that pop up, and I'm, I obviously watch Always Sunny, and I guess South Park, and then I'm a big fan of Rick and Morty, too. Those are, like, really the only types of shows, but those are shows that get ordered 10 episodes per season. There's no real shows that are, like, the standard network television where you're getting 23 episodes per show, right? Like, there's just, uh, I mean, there was, a, like, New Girl was one of those shows that was, like, pretty solid, underrated in, in recent years stuff like that but there's there's nothing like you know how i met your mother on, on any network popping up right now i know um this is us is like the real popular one but even then i haven't even bothered tuning in yeah i've been busy with the sports i haven't bothered checking that out over the years but i do want to say before we sign off the pop culture so- podcast i do want to like say rest in peace to the great Chadwick Boseman. we found out on friday night passed away from colon cancer at the age of 43 and i want to say like as somebody who watched a lot of his movies, love his Marvel stuff, I loved him in 42. I did not remember he was in draft. I forgot about it until after, like, he, until, like, after the fact and after he passed away, that was sort of the ones that brought up. Like, he was an incredible actor. He was very funny. Big loss to the, big loss of the world. And I will say, it's incredible the stuff he was able to do, basically fighting cancer for four years. Yeah, and that's something that wasn't even public knowledge, or to, not even to my knowledge, right? Because he got it at stage, and then it progressed. And it's just, you know, it's such a terrible thing, and, you know, just not even just the roles that he did, it's just doing everything while he was, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have poor attitudes, they treat people poorly when they're perfectly healthy, and they're not nearly as busy as he was, yet he was doing everything and anything he could to put a smile on people's face, put out positive work, um, and make an impact on the world, all while dying at the same time. And that's, that's something that's very rare. And he lived a full life, even though he was 43 and there, and, and not many people say that. So it's very unfortunate uh, to see that happen. Yeah. Once again, rest in peace to Chadwick Boseman. And I do, I just, obviously it's one of those things like when, I mean, we're sitting there Friday night where you and I were on our group chat with Will Schneider hand front, like fellow unofficial co-host of this podcast. And we're talking about all oh, the Mets sale, they beat the Yankees up. Then we see this, it just like a punch to the gut. Yeah, and um, because I was behind because I was on vacation, so I saw your text messages a little bit later, and then uh, Will mentioned about Chadwick, and then I was just like, oh. And, and I think that then, then we had John Thompson pass away and Clifford Robinson um, over the weekend. So, you know, even more huge sports figureheads. And, I, I, you know, it's just it's just been a wild year, and, um, you know, hopefully all this terrible stuff will and soon because you know it's just i think i think the whole world is kind of just you know tired at this point mentally 
physically, you know, a lot of people just want things to go back to normal, and um, hopefully that's very soon. Yes, yeah, say we're all over 2020. We still got four months to go. Yeah, but you know what, Mike? Um, three months of summer just went by like it was it was two weeks. So I'm I'm hoping that um, it goes by as fast as uh, summer did. Otherwise, um, I'm probably gonna bash my head through a wall because the Jets aren't gonna be that enjoyable uh, this upcoming year. No, they're gonna be pretty bad. I mean, we talked about this off there. The recording on September first, they have so many guys hurt. It's they're down to basically guys off the street at wide receiver. And one fun fact I point out to a friend by a friend of mine, they have apparently like thirteen former Indianapolis Colts in their roster. Though I don't think they got anybody useful out of that group. Yeah, I think the only one was uh, going to be Desir, and Desir might be coming back at the end of this week. I mean, look, it's on top of the schedule. The schedule immediately when I saw it, I was like, okay, this is just the complete opposite of what last year was. A lot of people have to understand that cakewalk towards the end of the year was a major reason why that record looked like the way it did. I understand Darnold was out, but again, they they improve in certain areas, but the depth just isn't there. I mean, it's just, again, all you have to hope is that Darnold somehow progresses into a better quarterback and, or he doesn't get, you know, you hope he doesn't get a season-ending injury or just, you know, something catastrophic and detrimental to his career because Gase has got to go. I, I think that's, that's evident. they got to figure out everything going on with ownership as well, because um, I think that's definitely in, in flux and especially impacting, you know, the future of a lot of players in this league. So that all needs to get resolved. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just a good thing they got all those picks for Jamal Adams. Yep, we'll see what happens then in the future. Martina, thanks for coming on again. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I can people follow you on social media and keep up with some of the stuff you're up to? Uh, yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Martino Puccio. Um, soccer is returning already. Like, it's only been a month-long break. Um, French League is back. I do a podcast called State of Play Podcast. We're sponsored by The Athletic. Um, trying to get up over 2,000 followers. Pop in, listen to that stuff. Um, obviously, do some gambling stuff with the Sports Grid Network as well. Obviously, uh, had a few, I think a couple of guests that uh, work for the network. Um, so if you're getting into gambling, and hopefully, hopefully, what I'm hoping for is that New York supposedly might be putting up um, uh, legalized gambling up for vote um, around Labor Day, which is very, very soon. So hopefully that is true, and hopefully that does happen, and uh, that could uh, make the NFL season a little bit more bearable for me. Yes, it would. Martino, thanks, guy. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Of course. Love it. All right, and that will do for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Michael Florio, from call, for calling in, doing a big-time deep dive into the world of fantasy football. Give you a lot of good nuggets there for your drafts. Make sure you check that conversation out. And then the great Joe D'Aloisio. Forgot to mention on the air before, he's the host of the Sharp Chatter Podcast. Should be coming back soon as the season starts. We did our NFL over-unders for the year. And Martina Puglia, who you just heard from, talking about the league. Highly recommend that show on Netflix. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including... My look at a better tomorrow for the New York Mets under the Steve Cohen ownership. I threw out a pie-in-the-sky plan. I have some optimism on what this could be doing here. Check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Simply search for Just End the Suffering on any of those platforms. You can find all our episodes there, including we had a couple of U.S. Open conversations, one with Ben Roffensberg last week, one with Christopher Clary earlier this week. Check those out. A lot of good stuff in them. Feel free to leave your feedback and star rates as well. They're very important. They'll make the show even better going forward. So please do that, guys. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M P H I 
L-I-P-S-331. Follow me there. Leave some feedback there as well if you made it to the end of the episodes and you have some thoughts on this. Coming up next week, we have our NFL season preview, week one picks, and more. Until then, have a better week than the Met fans did. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.